Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again, church, in Exodus chapter 20. Last Sunday, we kicked off a series through the Ten Commandments called Love God, Love People. And so we find ourselves this morning looking together at the second commandment that was given there on Mount Sinai to Moses to God's people, Israel, and we're going to talk about how that has impact for us even today. And so as we prepare to look at the second commandment this morning, I want to ask you this question. I want you to think about this. Have you ever been in a situation where you did the right thing in the wrong way? You did the right thing but you did it in the wrong way. Parents, we see this often with our kids. In fact, as you think about it, there are times as a parent when you have to go to your kids and you have to say to them, you need to apologize to your sibling. What you did was wrong. And your kid hears that and they go to their sibling And this is how their apology goes. I'm sorry. (laughs) So technically, they did the right thing, right? They apologized. But you know and I know they did not do that in the right way. Lest we throw our kids under the bus only this morning. You and I do that as well. I want you to think about it just in apologizing with someone. How many of you have ever went to apologize to someone? You legitimately did something wrong. You needed to apologize to ask their forgiveness, but your apology went something like this. I'm sorry that you took what I said and were offended by it. How many of you have ever done that? Elbow your spouse, because they have. You know they have. Again, you did the right thing, but you didn't do it in the right way. As we look at the second commandment this morning, the first commandment's focus was, who is to be worshipped? And we said, it is the God of the universe, the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the only God to be worshiped. But the second commandment is going to focus in on how do we rightly worship this God? We worship him and him alone, but how do we actually do that well? This morning, as we look at the text, I want to read for us once again, Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, going down through verse 21, as we will each week of this series. I want you to take in all of the commandments that the Lord gives to his people, and then we will zoom back in once again on the second commandment this morning. Look with me at Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountains smoking. The people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit this morning. We ask that in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. I want to encourage you as you take notes this morning in your bulletin or your notebook to write down this main idea. It will frame our time together as we consider the second commandment this morning. It's this truth. There is only one God who truly deserves our worship. That may sound familiar because that was what we said last week as well. Here's the following point of that. And the way we worship him matters. There is only one God who truly deserves our worship. Worship. We talked about that last week. If you weren't with us, I would encourage you to go back, whether it's watching online or listening to the podcast from last week, as we talked about who God is and why He alone is the one that we are to worship. But, but this week, 
we must keep in mind that the way we worship him matters. I want to remind you once again as we venture into talking about the Ten Commandments over these next number of weeks of four truths of why the Ten Commandments matter. Some of you may have thought that this morning. You thought that last week. Why the Ten Commandments? That doesn't sound like a very fun sermon series to walk through. Well, here's why it is important. The reason why the Ten Commandments are vital for us to understand and to recognize the importance in our lives as followers of Jesus, here is the first reason. The Ten Commandments reveal the character of God. The Ten Commandments speak to God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's perfection. It shows us what God is like. But not only that, the Ten Commandments also expose for us our own sinfulness. Paul says that the Ten Commandments function for us much like a mirror in our lives. They show us our sinfulness. In fact, they show us that it is impossible for us in our own strength and in our own power to perfectly keep the law of God, the standard God has for us, we cannot accomplish in our own strength and in our own power. Not only that, the Ten Commandments, you'll see there, number three, drive us to Jesus, who perfectly kept the law of God. Jesus, the very second person of the Trinity, steps foot out of heaven, takes on flesh, comes and lives among us, And he perfectly keeps the law of God that we were unable to keep in our own strength, in our own power. And so for us, the recognition of what God's standard is and that we can't keep it in our own strength, in our own power should drive us to recognize our only hope is a relationship with Jesus Christ who did what we could not do. You may be here this morning, and for you, that's where you sit today. Not having taken that step of turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, you think in your mind today, I can can keep God's law. I'm sure when he looks at me, he thinks, that's a pretty good person there. But the reality is, he looks at you and he sees your sinfulness and your only hope today is a relationship with Jesus Christ in him alone. Number four, the Ten Commandments guide us to righteousness. Once we realize our only hope is Jesus and we trust him alone for our salvation, here's what's fascinating. The the Ten Commandments, the law of God, guides us as we seek to honor and to glorify him with lives that are filled with righteousness, lives that look more and more like Jesus every single day. You say, hang on just a second, I thought I couldn't do what you just said, but here's what happens when we trust Christ as our Savior. The Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, takes up residence in our life and enables us, empowers us to walk in obedience to God, our Heavenly Father. And to know what God requires of us is to recognize his law, his 
standard, his perfection, what he calls us to pursue in our lives. We said last week, Jesus, when asked about the Ten Commandments, says the greatest commandment is to love God with every aspect of your being, and the second greatest commandment is to love people as yourself, love God, love people. If you summarize the Ten Commandments, the first four talk about what it looks like to love God, and the next six talk about what it looks like to love people. And so as we walk through this, for us who are followers of Jesus, how do we love God well? How do we love people well? That is why for us, this series is vital as we seek to honor the Lord Jesus in our lives. Let's look this morning at the second commandment. We find it in verse four going down through verse six. We're going to look at that, but let me remind you of verse two this morning, because as we said last week, that grounds us in understanding the Ten Commandments most appropriately. Notice verse two, the Lord says, I am the Lord, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember this morning that as God is delivering this message to Moses to be delivered to the children of Israel, he is doing that very specifically tied to these three things. First, he discloses, remember who I am. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. There is no God like me. There is no God who is perfect like me. There is no God who is righteous like me. There is no one that can compare to me. But not only that, remember, I am your God. He has chosen the children of Israel to be his people. And he says, I am the one true God, but I am am your God. We see the personal nature in this. And not only that, he is also the God who has delivered them from slavery, from bondage in Egypt. He says to them, remember who I am as I deliver to you these commands. Let's look then at the command in its immediate Context. Look with me at verse 4. This is the command spelled out for us. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now remember at this point that the children of Israel that God has delivered from Egypt had spent 400 years in captivity there as slaves of the Egyptians. 
They had witnessed, they had watched the Egyptians worship. They had seen how they went about worshiping. We said last week that the Egyptians worshiped any number of gods. Worship the sun god, worship the moon god. They worshiped Pharaoh as if he also was God. We said last week that the Lord says to his people in the first commandment, you shall have no other gods besides me or before me. There is no God like our God. There is no God to be worshiped besides him. He should be in the throne of our hearts. But also notice that here the Lord is giving specific instructions for how he is to be worshiped. Again, remember that for the children of Israel, they would have witnessed the Egyptians worshiping. They would have known the gods that they were worshiping, but also they would have seen the way they go about doing it. And the way that they went about doing it was to craft some type of visual representation of these gods to craft these idols, to set them up and to actually worship, bow down before them, serve them. That was the way that they worshiped. I want you to notice here that the Lord says to his people, that's not the way that you are going to worship me. You are not going to craft some image as a representation of me. You're not going to craft some idol as if it can compare to me. Notice that he tells them, you're not to bow down to them or to serve them. Because I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Now, when we think about jealousy, we don't think about it most of the time in positive terms. But think about this, for God to say he is a jealous God, there is absolutely nothing wrong when he declares this. Because what the Lord is saying to his people that he has created is that you will not find satisfaction and fulfillment in your life worshiping a false God or worshiping me in the wrong way. And the Lord says to his people, I want more for you than that. I want you to flourish. I want you as you worship me to worship me in the right way. And this is not the right way. But notice that the Lord continues and says to them on the back end of this command, that he is a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But then the flip side, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, some have looked at this and understood it wrongly. They've heard this idea of generational curses. I don't know if you've heard that before. Have you heard that talked about at some point in time? That is not at all what this is about. Just put that out there for you. You say, okay, then what is this about? Are you telling me that, that God is going to look at the way a father worships, and if he worships wrongly, then he's going to punish generations down the line as a result of that man's sin? Is that what you're telling me, Pastor? And the answer is no, but here's what the Lord is saying. 
that generations following us watch the way in which we worship, and it ultimately impacts the way in which they worship. Parents, lean in for just a second. Your kids are watching you worship. They're watching how often you come to church. They're watching when you are at church, the way in which you worship. Dads, I just want to challenge you this morning. If you stand here as we sing and you don't sing, listen to me, your kids see that. They watch you. And if you're not singing in their minds, what they're hearing and seeing is, well, I don't need to sing. And yet the reality is that God deserves our worship. He deserves every ounce of breath that we can muster as we come into his presence. And the Lord is saying to his people, Israel, here, listen, if you do not take seriously the way in which you worship me, here's what will happen. Generations following you will not take it seriously either. Listen, if you do, if you worship me rightly, And generations that follow you as they watch you worship will also worship me rightly. And as a result of that, they will experience the steadfast love of the Lord for generations. You know, as you look at that, just kind of imagine in your mind this morning, as you think about this image or likeness of God that someone would create. Think about it in this way. Have you ever seen a cardboard cutout of a person? You know what I'm talking about? Some famous person, they'll put a cardboard cutout beside a bag of potato chips. You know what I mean? As if he's there telling you, eat this bag of potato chips. You go to the movie theater, you see cardboard cutout of the characters. Here's what God is saying to his people. No cardboard cutout that you could make can compare to me at all. Nothing that you could craft, regardless of how good it may look or how appealing it may be, will ever compare to me. And imagine if you did that at home. If you said, hey, listen, I'm not going to participate at all in family life, but I am going to get a cardboard cutout of myself. I'm going to just put it in the corner at the house. And so, kids, if you need anything, you just go to the cardboard cutout, and you just ask for it. Or, honey, if you need me to help with the dishes or to take out the trash, you you just holler at the cardboard cutout, and let's see how that works. The Lord's saying, "That, that doesn't work. And to worship Him in the wrong way is a problem. We see this not only here in this command given to the children of Israel, we see it as we expand into other parts of Scripture as well. And so let's take a moment and think about this command in its canonical context. As we look at all of Scripture, there are two passages I want us to look at this morning as we think about this command that we are not to make a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or the earth beneath in order to worship the Lord. Here's what I want you to write down as we think through this. Created things cannot compare to the creator. Created things 
cannot compare to the Creator. If you have an opportunity, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 44. You'll see the text up on the screen this morning, beginning in verse 9. The Lord is clear as we think about this fashioning, this crafting of idols in some measure to try to compare to him so that we can worship what we see in front of us. Notice what the Lord says about this. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. All who fashion a god or cast an idol that is profitable for nothing. Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble, let them stand forth. They shall be terrified, they shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat, he roasts it and is satisfied. Also he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me. For you are my God. One of the most fascinating passages in the book of Isaiah for me, because in this moment, I want you to consider the absurdity of what God lays out here. In fact, look at this. He says, take a moment and pause and think about this. You have a man who gets hungry and gets tired, and yet he is crafting with his hands a representation of God to worship. Now, that's dumb. And then he says, take a step back even further than that. Now, imagine this as well. There's a carpenter who goes out and finds a tree, and he cuts the tree down, and he takes the tree, and with part of it, he cooks his meal. And with part of it, he warms himself by the fire. But then the other part of it, he takes and he shapes it and he molds it and he crafts it into a representation of God and worships that which he has created. To which the Lord says, how dumb can you be? 
How absurd is that? Now, here's the thing. We sophisticated people in this world at this time look at that and go, how crazy. Like, how are they dumb enough to do that and not represent? I mean, how could they do it? It just doesn't make any sense. Can I challenge us in something this morning? We also, though we do it a little more craftily, create, if we're not careful, representations of God or pictures in our minds of what God is like, and we worship that. In fact, think about it in this way. How many of you ever had somebody say something like this to you, or maybe you've said it? Well, if I was God, that's not the way I would do that. You ever heard that? And the reality is, you have simply created a God in your image. And you are worshiping that instead of worshiping the true God as he's revealed himself in his word. In fact, as you think about it in this, there's people who will say things like, well, you know, I think God wants me to be happy. And what they really mean is, I want to do what I want to do, therefore I'm God in my life. And I'm going to create a God who fascinatingly allows me to do everything that I want to do, even if his word tells me that that's not right. So lest we let ourselves off the hook, let's take that into account. Now, I want you to also look with me this morning. John chapter 4, verses 19 through 26, recognize second truth, not only or created things not able to compare to the creator. But here's the second thing that God's word reminds us. True worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 19. We come on the heels of a conversation that Jesus has with a woman at the well. She's a Samaritan. Jesus is telling her he has water that she should be asking him for. And she, at this point in time, is not understanding who Jesus is. Jesus says, I have everlasting water that you can drink. And she, at this point, says, I I don't really understand what you're talking about. Jesus says, hang on then. Why don't you go call your husband? to come with you and let's have this conversation. And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You've had five and the one you have now is not even your husband. You're just living with him. To which she responds here in verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. He's just told her every dark secret going on in her life. And so she changes the conversation. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming 
and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. In this moment, the woman is wanting to debate with Jesus about where the location of worship should take place. And Jesus wants her to recognize something. That true worship will begin with the recognition of him as the Messiah, him as the Savior. And he says here, God is spirit. And if you're going to worship him, you are going to worship in spirit and in truth. You're going to worship him as he has revealed himself to be through his word. And as you look through scripture, what you realize is that God's revelation is that he will send his son Jesus to this earth to save us from our sins. Jesus says to this woman in this moment, if you want to worship rightly, it begins with recognizing me as the promised Messiah. You will worship the Father rightly as you worship me as your Savior. Now, as we think about that, let's ask now, how do we understand this command in our lives today? In the contemporary context in which we live, how do we understand this command? Well, first... Do not lose sight of the fact that the way we worship God matters. The way you and I worship God matters. There's a set of questions that you're going to see come up on the screen. I want you to to take an opportunity just personally to begin to ask yourselves these questions. I think it'll be helpful to expose our heart as we think about what it looks like to worship God in the right way. Consider these questions. Number one, what comes into my mind when I think about God? Ask yourself that question. What comes into your mind when you think about God? A.W. Tozier said this, that what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing in our lives. So for you, think about that. What comes into your mind when you think about God? And here's the follow-up to that. Is that image an accurate picture of God from his word? See, that's important. Because God has revealed himself through his word. And if we're going to worship him accurately, if we're going to see him for who he truly is, it won't be based on our feelings It won't be based on our emotions. It won't be based on the picture in our minds that we create of a God that we like who tells us we can do whatever we want to do. 
To worship God rightly, we have to understand who he is and he's revealed himself through his word and ultimately through Jesus who is the word. If we want to know what the father is like, Jesus says he is the physical representation of the father here on the earth. Question number two. When I am most tempted to think about God wrongly, when am I most tempted to think about God wrongly? Can I just share with you, here's, here's where it looks like in my life, probably looks like this in your life as well, if you're honest. When there is sin in my life, I am often tempted to think about God wrongly in those moments. For you, it may be the exact same thing. Sin in your life, you just want to be okay with it, and you want God to be okay with it, and so God has been shaped in the image who says your sin's okay, it's not that big of a deal. Pride in your life, no big deal. Think about it this way as well. In what ways am I tempted to create a false image of God? In what ways are you and I tempted to create a false image of God in our minds to worship? Question number three. What informs or gives direction to the way I worship God? Is it tradition? We've always done it this way. So of course we have to continue to do it this way. Is it your preferences that inform the way in which you worship God? Or is it his word that informs the way you worship him? When you come in to sing on Sunday morning, what, what informs the way in which you go about doing that? In your own life, personally, as you worship the Lord through your private devotion, what informs the way in which you go about doing that? Is it his word or is it something else? Here's question number four. In what ways am I tempted to worship God wrongly? Think about this. Are you worshiping God wholeheartedly? Or if you're honest, are you pretty distracted? In your own time with the Lord, distracted by what's going on in social media on your phone, when you come in and worship collectively together, distracted about what's going on around you, thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch today, what, what is going on in your heart and in your mind in this moment? And then, do you approach the Lord with a sense of reverence? As you come to worship him, recognizing who he is, being willing to bow down before him because he is God? Or do you come with more of a flippant attitude? Not really that big of a deal. Very casual. Not thinking much about it. Here's the last thing. Not only does the way we worship God matter, the way we worship him will impact the next generation. If I could drill this in our heads, if I could plaster it on the walls, church, the way we worship God 
today. The way you worship him individually, the way we worship him collectively will impact the next generation. So the question before us, what are we leaving to the generations that are coming behind us? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? As our worship team makes their way up, As you consider this morning what you've heard from God's word, maybe for you, you're not yet a follower of Jesus. And for you today, that's the next step for you in this journey is to turn from your sin and trust Jesus as your savior. We wanna invite you to do that this morning. Our pastors will be down front in just a minute. I wanna encourage you as we begin to sing for you to come and just let us know, I need to take that step of trusting Jesus as my savior. Maybe this morning you're already a follower of Jesus and the Lord has brought conviction as you think about the way in which you worship him. And I want to encourage you this morning, this is an opportunity for confession of sin to recognize once again that the way we worship God matters. Maybe that's your response this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. God, use it to mold and to shape us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join with us as we sing?